Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Benny Hinn is one of the most well-known of the false prophets today. He claims to be a prophet of God. Now you may be thinking, well, preacher, aren't you being kind of harsh? I mean, aren't you kind of being unloving? I mean, doesn't the Bible say judge not and you shall not be judged? And you're saying that Benny Hinn is a false prophet? Well, actually, the Bible tells us we must test the prophets to see if they are true or false. In fact, over in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God is talking to the nation of Israel and telling them that prophets will come claiming to proclaim a message in Christ's name, and they must not just accept it without discernment or testing the prophets. We pick up in verse 20. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Right? How can we tell if it's a good prophet or not? He tells him. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. And so we have one simple test. God gives us a test of prophet to see if he's a true prophet or a false prophet. That is, a true prophet, 100% of whatever he says that God has given him to speak comes true. Not 95%. Not 98%, but 100%. So to test the prophet, go to what he said, see if it comes true. God has given the test himself. On December the 31st, 1989, in the Orlando Christian Center, Benny Hinn made this prophecy. And I actually did a great bit of research to verify what I was reading online because I know you can't trust everything you read online. In fact, I even heard the audio recording of these prophecies that I'm giving you today, these first two. He said, The Spirit tells me Fidel Castro will die in the 90s. Ooh, my. Some will try to kill him, and they will not succeed. But there will come a change in his physical health, and he will not stay in power, and Cuba will be visited of God. That was on December 31st. uh, Fidel Castro did not die in the 90s, not even in the 2000s. And some say he's even alive today, at least he claims to be. Also on that same occasion... He made this prophecy. The Lord also tells me to tell you 
In the mid-90s, about 94 or 95, no later than that, God will destroy the homosexual community of America. But He will not destroy it with what many minds have thought Him to be. He will destroy it with fire. Now that did not happen. Now we only could take one of those and be enough to show He's a false prophet. But I want to take another one. In April the 2nd, 2000, on TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, Benny said these words. Now hear this. I am prophesying this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is about to appear physically in some churches and some meetings and to many of His people. For one reason, to tell you he's about to show up. Benny Hinn also prophesied that God would raise people from the dead who were sitting in front of a TV set that was watching TBN. He told people to tell the mortician, don't take his body, let me have him for one day. Put him in front of the television set that's playing TBN and some of those dead bodies would come to life. God says, 100% accuracy in prophecies. Here we have three that Benny Hinn spoke that did not come true. God says he's a false prophet. He also claims to have healed hundreds of thousands of people. One of the main attractions of his crusades is the healing times that he has at the end. Yet, there has been absolutely no independently documented case of people who have been healed at a Benny Hinn crusade. There has been no case of someone who has been medically verified of having a disease, went to the crusade, was healed, returned back to their doctor, and once again had it independently medically verified that they were healed. There was one documentary crew that, for the purpose of just doing that, approached Benny Hinn and said, can we have unfettered access to you, to you and to your staff and to your uh, during your crusades that we can actually medically verify that people are being healed? And he said, yes. But the old producer of that program said, we never found one case that we could independently verify medically that they had been healed. In his Toronto crusade, Benny cl claimed that this lady who had diabetes was healed and another lady that had AIDS was healed. Now, a few weeks after the crusade, he had a special on his television show where he highlighted this crusade. And he highlighted these people, this lady with diabetes and this lady with AIDS, as a, an example of two people that were healed at his crusade. He even said that their healing was medically verified. Well, CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Company, traced and found those two people, those two ladies, a few weeks later, 
And upon interviewing them, the one who had diabetes was not only not healed, but she got worse and had to be hospitalized. And the lady that Benny claimed was healed of AIDS was medically tested later, and she still has AIDS. Justin Peters did his Master's of Divinity thesis on Benny Hinn. Now, Justin himself has cerebral palsy, and he has to walk with crutches. During his time of working on that thesis, he attended numerous Benny Hinn crusades. He was never once allowed to approach the platform to be prayed for by Benny Hinn to be healed. Every time he tried, the screeners would stop him and tell him to go and be seated in another section. The only people they allow to come up are those who have diseases that you can't see. Diabetes, cancer, heart problems. I mean, things are not visible. They have a wheelchair section in the back of the Crusades. you never seen anybody come up in a wheelchair. been verified. In fact, one of the screeners spoke to one of the TV documentaries and said that they do not allow people to come up who have those visible deformities and visible afflictions. In fact, they will ask somebody who says they were healed, he said, and he'll say, what, what, what was your healing? He said, I couldn't raise my arm. And, and the security would say, well, can you raise it now? And if the guy says yes, they let him up. <laughs> if he says no, they don't let him up. And so thousands of people he has claimed to heal, but not one medically documented case can be set forth. Yet in spite of this, that he is obviously a false prophet, he continues to enjoy tremendous success. His daily TV show, This Is Your Life, is now broadcast in over 200 countries. In 2007, he held the largest recorded healing service in history in Mumbai, Mumbai India. There were 5 to 7 million people who attended over a three-day period his healing crusade. His ministry receives over $200 million in offering each year. He averages $500,000 in offerings for each crusade. One insider who helped count the offerings told a TV documentary that on one occasion, the highest recorded offering for one night was $780,000. Now you may be asking the question, well, if Benny Hinn is a false prophet, why does God allow him such apparent success? Right? Why doesn't God just judge him? Well, that brings us to our passage in Jude this morning. So take your Bibles, turn over to Jude. That's the book, the small book, right before Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It is a very small book. And what God's answer is, though false teachers and prophets may appear to be enjoying great success, you can be certain 
God will judge them. His time and His way. Just because someone is prospering financially doesn't mean that God's blessing them. Not at all. Some of the wealthiest people in the world don't even profess to believe in God. See, we have this wrong notion that financial prosperity equals God's blessing. In fact, a lot of money is a curse many times. Many of the people who win the lottery end up divorced and their lives in shambles. We have seen previously in our study of Jude that there are three distinguishing characteristics of false teachers and false prophets. Jude repeats these over and over again in this small book. They are crucial for us to remember if we're going to identify false teachers. First, they disbelieve God's Word. They disbelieve it either by twisting the meaning of it, by outright rejecting it, or by denying that Jesus is God come in the flesh. Secondly, they resist God's authority. They lack a reverential fear of God. They reject His order. And thirdly, they indulge fleshly desires. They live extravagant lifestyles, and they're involved many times in immorality and other things. Now, in our passage today, God says a time of judgment is coming. That God has always judged those who reject His Word, who resist His order, who indulge in fleshly desires, and He will certainly judge the false teachers and prophets as well. And He'll do so in His time and in His way to His glory. In our passage today, God gives three examples of those whom He judges that violate his word by rejecting it, that violate his authority by resisting his authority, and those who indulge in fleshly desires. Stand as I read together, beginning in verse 5 and reading through verse 7. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. You may be seated. We have three examples in Jude this morning that show God's judgment. And he's basically saying, if God judged these three for their sins, how much more will he judge the false teachers who commit these sins? And I might add, us, you and I, if we commit these sins as well. The first example is the nation of Israel. Their sin, they disbelieved God's Word. 
The next example is that of angels. They rejected God's authority. They resisted His order. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, they indulged in fleshly desires. Remember, these are the same three characteristics that we see of false teachers. Jude says, I want to give you examples of the people, groups in the Scripture, who committed these same sins, and I want to show you how God judged them. And you can be sure if God judged them, He will judge the false teachers as well. First, we have the nation of Israel. Their sin, they disbelieved God's Word. Verse 5. I desire to remind, now desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Israel's sin was they did not believe God's word. Over and over again, God had shown Israel His faithfulness. They had seen, first of all, the power of God. He sent those ten plagues on the land of Egypt as a direct challenge to the false gods of Egypt. Each one of those plagues is a direct attack upon a false god worshipped in Egypt. They saw His power as He took the, the Nile River and turned it into blood. And not only the river, the water in the Nile River turned into blood, but all the water and all the vessels was turned into blood. They saw the power of God as He brought about not only the blood, but as He brought about the, the darkness in the land. It covered everywhere except in Goshen. They saw His power as He brought the frogs and the locusts and the insects and the hail and thunder. They saw His power. Not only that, but they saw God's faithfulness to perform His Word. He told them that I'm sending the death angel throughout the land, and the firstborn male of both human and animal will be killed. But, if you'll take the blood of a goat, the blood of a lamb, and put it over the doorpost, then the death angel will see that blood and he will pass over and death will not enter your house. So those who believed God killed the lamb, put the blood over the doorpost and that night the death angel passed over their house. They'd seen God's faithfulness. When they were at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was approaching them and God said, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Watch and I will fight for you. I will deliver you. And God sent the fiery column to separate the soldiers of Pharaoh from the people of Israel. And then God divided the Red Sea and they could walk through as through dry land. And then upon them being through and Pharaoh's army taking after them, God closed it back up. They'd seen God perform His Word. They had been hungry in the wilderness and had nothing to eat and no hope of finding anything. And what did God do? He gave them bread from heaven. Every morning they go out and there would be manna on the ground. All they had to do was collect it. They'd seen God perform His Word. They'd been thirsty. And they'd seen God give them water from the rock until they could drink and be filled. 
They'd seen God provide quails in abundance when they cried for meat, and God had the wind blow quail in, and they could eat until they were totally satisfied. They had seen God perform His Word over and over and over again. And God promised them in Exodus 23 that He would bring them into the promised land. He says, For my angel will go before you and bring you in the land of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I will completely destroy them. My angel will bring you in the land. That was God's promise. That was God's word to them. And yet when they got to the promised land, they sent 12 spies to go in and look out the land and and see about it. And they came back and 10 of the spies said, oh yes, it's flowing with milk and honey, all right. But there are giants over there. And we are like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can defeat them. But God had promised. But the scripture says the hearts of the people melted. And they would not believe God's word. And so God sent judgment on them. God's judgment was that he destroyed them. Numbers 14. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. If God went to all that effort to bring the children of Israel out of their bondage to Egypt with great signs and wonders. He cared for them in the wilderness with bread from heaven for 40 years. And yet when they would not believe him, he passed judgment on them and said, you will die in this wilderness and never enter the land. How much more will he judge false prophets who have studied His Word, who know His Word, but they have distorted it. They have rejected its sole authority with dreams and other things, and they have twisted its meaning until it doesn't mean at all what God said. God's going to judge them. Not only that, but God will judge every person who disbelieves and rejects His gospel truth about salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. That Jesus Christ came as God's Son, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to take the sins of all those who would believe in Him. He rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death and the enemy. He ascended into heaven. And He says, Let all who call upon the name of the Lord be saved. But if you reject that gospel truth, that your only hope of having your sins wiped away, having a place in heaven, is through Jesus Christ, and you think you can come in any other way, then you will experience the judgment of a holy God. Christian, if you disbelieve God's Word, you too will experience the judgment hand of God. 
Not eternally, because Christ has been judged for us eternally. But in this life, there are the temporal judgments of God in this life. We call it the discipline hand of God. You cannot disbelieve God's word even as a Christian in this life and not suffer consequences because of it. For instance, God's word clearly says, Do not take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for God himself has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Well, you say, I don't believe God's going to ever get them. I've been waiting for two months. He hadn't gotten them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to take it upon myself. And you disbelieve God, you're going to bring some negative consequences into your life. So we don't just look at the false teachers and say, aha, uh-huh, get them, God. We got to look at our own lives and say, am I disbelieving God's word? Am I not willing to believe what God has said? If so, then I'm going to experience some discipline in this life. Next, he goes to the angels in verse 6. Their sin, they rejected God's order. And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under the darkness of the judgment of the great day. Now, what's this talking about? I believe he's talking about the angels who were created the highest of the created order, who were in the heavenly realms with God in creation. But Lucifer was not willing to keep his place, his beginning. And that word domain means his beginning, his rule. Lucifer was not satisfied to be the highest of the angels. He wanted to be like God. And so he led a rebellion against God in heaven. And as a result of that, they were cast out of heaven. And some of those demons were actually thrown into a prison house of demon spirits. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He says, If God did not spare angels when they sinned and cast them into hell, and that word is actually Tartarus, which is not the hell of the burning fiery lake, but it's a prison house of demon spirits, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. His point is, how much more will he not judge false teachers? I mean, how much more will he judge false teachers? If God did not refrain from judging those he created, the highest of the creative order, the angels, you think he's not going to judge false teachers who reject and oppose his authority? You think he's not going to judge you and I who reject His authorities in our life? The false teachers we have said many times are their own proclaimed authority. They give themselves the names of bishop and apostle and all these names they have given to themselves. They have resisted God's proper authorities. But you know, we can do the same thing and be guilty. I mean, when God says that we are to be good employees, and we're to submit to our bosses, and you complain, and you grumble, and you gripe about your boss, and you sneak around, and by deception, you don't do what he's told you to do, you're resisting God's order. 
God said there's no authority that's not ordained by him. Wives, when God says submit to your husband, you say, I'm not going to submit to that idiot. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. God didn't know him when he wrote that. You did choose him. That's all I got to say. You did choose to marry him. You're going to suffer the consequences of that. Kids, you rebel against your parents. You try to sneak out and do things behind their back. It's going to come back to bite you. You cannot disobey Reject God's authority or authorities in your life and not suffer negative consequences. The disciplined hand of God, if you're a believer, is released in your life. The third example, Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulge in gross immorality... And when after strange flesh are exhibited as an example and undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. What's he saying? What was their sin? Gross immorality, homosexuality. They went after strange flesh. They were indulging their fleshly desires in all forms of sensuality and impurity and immorality and perversion. Scripture tells us that God sent two angels to warn Lot of the judgment he was going to send on these two cities. Their perversion was so great that the men of this city, upon seeing these two strangers who appeared as men, enter their city, demanded of Lot that he release them so they could commit immorality with them. This is how perverted they were. They demanded it. God will judge the false teachers who are involved in indulging their fleshly desires, who take the grace of God and turn it into licentiousness, who commit acts of immorality. God will judge them. God will also judge Christians who commit acts of impurity and greed and promiscuity, who love their money and materialism, God will judge them. Anyone who engages in gross immorality, impurity, and perversion can expect the disciplined hand of God in their life. You want to know what God thinks about homosexuality? Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. He hadn't changed. He still thinks the same thing about it. You want to know what God thinks about premarital sex? Adultery? Fornication? Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. It hadn't changed. Christians think they can live in, in sexual immorality and get by with it? Think you can live together as a man and woman prior to marriage and not suffer consequences? You're just fooling yourselves. What a person sows, they shall reap. And God says you are reaping sin because you're sowing sin. You're reaping consequences, detrimental consequences, when you are involved in gross immorality and indulge the desires of your flesh.
Also, I think Jude is saying God gives an example of the fires of hell in sending the brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He so destroyed these cities that archaeologists don't even know where they are today. They think they may be under a part of the Dead Sea, but they don't know. They were so completely and utterly destroyed. But it's a picture of hell. Hell that awaits all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, who will not submit to God's way of salvation and eternal life. It's a clear reminder. So what does Jude tell us today? He says, though these false prophets may have apparent success, may have these multi-million dollar television networks, may get huge crowds to gather when they have crusades, you can be certain their day of judgment is coming. What does he say to you and to me? Don't think because he has washed you in the blood of Christ and saved you that you too won't experience the negative consequences, the disciplined hand of God in this life if you as a Christian commit these same sins. If you disbelieve his word, if you resist the authorities he's put in your life which is resisting him, or if you indulge in gross immorality, or indulge the desires of your flesh. You're going to suffer for it. God will forgive, but He doesn't remove consequences. You see, God's forgiveness doesn't remove the consequences in a person's life. You can drive down the road 110 miles an hour, breaking the law, have a wreck, break both of your legs, both of your arms. You can be laying in a hospital bed saying, Oh, God, I'm sorry, I broke the law. Please forgive me. God forgives you. But those legs don't automatically heal and those arms don't automatically heal. You've got to live with the consequences of your sin. Christians need to realize this. Yes, He forgives. But there are consequences you've got to live with. And they're not worth it. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I don't think it's only talking about spiritual death, but I mean, I think he's talking about death in the sense of, of negative consequences and suffering and pain. God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he reap. So let's all look at our lives and say, God, am I guilty of these things? I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and look at the false teachers. And say, yeah, get them, God. But we got to look a little closer home. Am I guilty of this? Let's spend a few moments in prayer. And let's ask God to search us. Father, I pray right We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night 
at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.